Um, but yeah, but how? So you you were saying uh, your guys's work didn't really slow down during COVID at all? Not one bit. Like my job basically stayed exactly the same. And so, for, like like I was telling you, like I know this is how we just do. I do this show. We just yeah, jump yeah, right yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we never slowed down at the shop. Like pro wrestling tees kept on fucking going. We kept mm-hmm. on pumping throughout the pandemic. And like for the longest time too, like, n- like there was like zero worries. Like at first, like nobody was like, like worried about COVID. It was okay. kind of just like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a thing. Like it mm-hmm. was kind of like right before it started like blowing up, blowing up. I think once, once like sports started dude. like shutting down, that's the I day think, Rudy Gobert got it was like the strangest day of my life, dude. Like I remember that I like specifically remember that day because I was mm-hmm. like, oh shit, like an NBA player got it. Like it's, it's like, it's like, it's real now. Yeah. And then the, the game got canceled mm-hmm. and then games got canceled and then they fucking canceled the season. And then it was like, yo, this is fucked up. Like shit's like, I've never seen shit like this happen before. I remember, um, there were two like moments to me where COVID started to become real. And the first was kind of before a lot of people like the, before it was for a lot of people. And, so I went to Austin, Texas in January and we were flying back. And I remember the day after we got back, Christina, my wife, for people who don't know, <laughs> um, was like, hey, there was a story in the news about how somebody at the Austin airport had coronavirus. And that's back when it was still like everyone only referred to it as the coronavirus. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like that's terrifying. And then like life went back to normal. And I just remember the day that Rudy Gobert got COVID. Um, that like that morning, I was watching Sports Center, and the San Jose Sharks hockey team was going to start to limit attendance. Oh. And they, I think they were limited to like five thousand people or something. That in hindsight was still like was still nowhere late. near conservative <laughs> enough. Um, and I just remember, oh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then when the Ivy League canceled their conference tournament for college basketball, I kind of freaked out. So like the Ivy League is not just going to do this unless there's a reason to be concerned. Yeah. And then the Rudy Gobert thing happens. He tests positive. They cancel the NBA game. They cancel the NBA season. And that was on a Wednesday. And AEW was on TV while this was happening and i just remember watching and thinking like oh everyone in that crowd's gonna die like, like everyone's crowd. Gonna, yeah like everyone in the crowd is gonna get the virus and be dead in a oh. week but i don't know i guess it, it's good that it was like not that widespread yet that we it know of like, yeah yeah that like I, I don't i don't know i'm glad that we did the initial kind of shutdown on stuff that we did yeah it's it's crazy like you said you were in 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 Austin in January, we, we were coming. So we went on that, the, the Jericho cruise. Yeah. And like, it was like, right when it's, we started hearing stuff about like people mm-hmm. getting sick. Uh, but it wasn't like a big thing yet. It wasn't like super big news. Yeah. But I specifically remember like everywhere on the boat, they had people at every entrance posted with hand sanitizer, like bottles. And they mm-hmm. were asking you like, if you're going in and out anywhere, use these hand sanitizers like and i was like oh that's kind of weird but i guess it's kind of convenient like yeah what's, what's the harm of washing your hand every five seconds i so that kind of stuff i'm hoping sticks around yeah just like it's a general germaphobe but also 
like just wearing a mask when you're sick it's like yeah we should do that because i saw people be like oh well like look how low the flu numbers were this year are we just gonna do this because of the flu and it's like well if less people die sure yeah, like but, but, <laughs> i don't want to the flu but also do you does anybody like getting the flu no it sucks yeah like fucking just wear like if you're sick wear wear the mask like i think i'm yeah. gonna continue at least during the winter mm-hmm. or in, uh, i don't know I, I i like the idea of wearing masks at stores now because like if anything if i'm at the store like i don't want to be like interacting with people like yeah. i just want to go in get my shit and leave so like wearing the mask makes you unapproachable like immediately that's true to a degree i've i've now that i'm fully vaxxed i've i've done the uh the no mask at like certain grocery stores that don't require a thing just to like dip my toe back in the mm-hmm. pool and be like, all right, like let's get used to this again. Because I think it is kind of good in a way to normalize not doing it forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do want social distancing to stay around forever. Like to your point, I love like not having people breathe down my neck in yeah. lines. Like that sort of stuff is great. I get fucking like I get really nervous when when it's like a lot of people. Like not. It's weird to say that because. Mm-hmm. Like going to a concert, like I'm all in on that. Like, yeah. Like being like in the middle of a bunch of people just losing our shit. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But like if I'm in a crowded store and there's people like bumping into me and stuff, I'm like that because I'm not in that headspace for that. Mm-hmm. It just makes me like fucking like lose it. And I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So wearing the mask, I feel like people people see you wearing the mask. They're like, oh, that guy must be sick. I want to stay the fuck away. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're like, oh, he's unvaccinated. Like I'm going to stay away. From yeah. Him. It's like, I don't like, I don't mind making people think that if they back off me a little bit yeah we we got the vaccine here like because our work uh like castro when he came up here yeah was talking to us he he makes he was making all the masks mm-hmm. we still make masks um and since we make masks we we were deemed an essential business yeah so we were able to well we were able to a stay open and b mm-hmm. uh got we got in line for our our shots pretty quickly and a lot of people on twitter were pretty uh Oh, the pro wrestling tees employees can uh can get their shots first. It's like, well, I mean, we don't make the rules. Yeah, that's that's the thing too. Is like I saw a lot of people complaining about stuff like that, and it's like if people can get it, they should get it. Yeah, everyone should just get it. Like, yeah, because I was in I think tier one C. Since it's like I work in insurance, so it fell into like the financial services sector. So it was like after essential workers and teachers and things like that, we were the first tier to open up after that. And I got it right away. Like I was oh, like, yeah. I'm not gonna waste a single second without this in my arm because I just want to get back to normal. God, yeah. And like, for me, like, like I, so I got COVID. Like, oh during, man, when did you get it? So I got it in November, okay, of, of 2020. And so it, it was like a freak thing too. So we we had the school open mm-hmm. like throughout the pandemic. We shut down for a bit. But we, we, we came up with ways to kind of make it safer for everybody. And, and it was literally just like, hey, guys, like if you want to practice, we'll be open. If you don't feel comfortable coming, mm-hmm. totally fine. You can wait until it's you know safe to come. You don't have to pay your dues and you yeah. just come back whenever you're ready. Excuse me. And so we had, you know, we had everybody wearing their masks. Uh, we would clean the ring like before and after practice, mm-hmm. which again, like is something that should just be done all the time. Yeah. Oh my God. With wrestling for sure. Like that's I, like, I, I really think the ripple effects of cleanliness and hygiene are going to be so good for everybody. <laughs> for everybody. I'm so excited about it. But uh, so we, we had a, you know, we had a good run with like everybody being safe, nobody getting sick. And then 
it was like I I came in on, like I started practicing with them again and I was on a, a Thursday and then that following weekend one of the kids was like hey I'm feeling sick I'm not going to come to practice and he's like I'm going to get tested just in just to be safe and then I'm like mm-hmm. okay so I told everybody I was like hey everybody just make sure go get go get a test just to be safe and you can't come back until it's it's a negative so everybody goes goes and gets tested I got tested too mm-hmm. mine came back positive and I was like oh. Son of a bitch. So yeah. I and I didn't f- I didn't feel anything. Okay. And so I went to get a second opinion. Like I went to go get another mm-hmm. test just to be sure because I had to tell my my work I was like, hey guys, yeah. like I I got the fucking coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And so it, yeah, it came back positive, but I like I had zero symptoms and but I had to quarantine in my in my bedroom and my girlfriend Nicole. She had to camp out in the next room, and it was just like a whole week. And like on top on top of that, like so that week, it, not only was it like my birthday week, which like mm-hmm. whatever, oh. and like it, it, it still, is what it is. Yeah. But like then my grandpa died that week as well, and I was like, son of a oh bitch! God. Like it was it was literally like the worst week of my life. And I was like, and I was mad. I was actually mad mm-hmm. that I didn't feel sick, which is kind of a stupid thing to say because I no, felt I like. I felt like helpless just like sitting at home being like, well, I can't leave because I technically have it and I don't want to like give it to anybody, but I'm like, I feel fine. And like there, there were so many people saying that like, Oh, there's like, you can get false positives. So I was like, well, maybe I got a false positive, but yeah, like, I mean, you can't, you, you just to be safe, you know? Yeah. The only, I, I only had to get tested once, which was great. Um, I had a scare like that in August and it was it kind of, not to that extreme, but it was, we were going to do like a, a big thing for my, it was going to be like one of the only social things I did during COVID and it was just immediate family and it was for my parents' anniversary. Yeah. And like three days before my boss got sick and mm. I was like, oh shit. And like our office is spread apart. Like we're nowhere near close proximity to each other. We're being safe, following all the guidelines, but it's like we were in the same building it's like there's no way that if he has it i don't have it like i i just didn't i didn't think there was any way and then i got tested and test results were still like kind of slow to come in back then like there wasn't as much rapid testing available yeah and like it was even hard to get a test the day that i found out that he was sick um but it was like five days before i got my results and it was negative thankfully uh and so so was so was he but that was like the only scare that i managed to have with it which god yeah. It still just sucks. Like the feeling of being like, oh, I like can't leave my house. It's <laughs> yeah. so weird. It's like fucking panicky. And oh, mm-hmm. like I will say this, like everyone's like, oh, 2020 sucked. It was like the worst fucking year of our lives. And I was like, in a way, like for me, like I always try to to look on the the brighter side of things, I guess. And I was like, in a way, I feel like this year also kind of like really, really taught us like what actually matters in our lives like what are like what are like people that you you actually you know want to you know spend your time with or like you know your family your close friends you know your hobbies and shit like that like everybody really got to you know dive deep into like shit that they you know would normally wouldn't have had had time for so in a way like i feel like it was kind of therapeutic for us but also in a way kind of horrible for us like yeah yeah like it was awful i think it I also think it like in a lot of ways it just like made people insane like just sitting oh, inside especially yeah. with like the amount of just atrocities that were also happening at the same time like 
I it, it was there was so much going on. I just remember knowing that I needed to stop using my phone. Yeah, a certain part around like May and June, and it was just awful. And and I don't know it. It was just such a brutal time. But yeah, to your point, I think there were a lot of positives that came out of it. Like kind of getting to recenter a little bit and like getting, I don't know, like for me personally, getting some of my own priorities in order. But then also just doing stuff that I put off doing for a long time. Like I always wanted to learn how to play an instrument and I never did. And then I got into ukulele in December. Oh, sick. Never played it. And then COVID it. It's like, I I got to learn how to do it now. Like oh, I have shit. no excuse. So can you, can you play now? Barely. Barely. Like, kind of. I, I can play. So there's like an app that I downloaded that has like tabs for all these songs. And I can play like 70% of the songs I want to play. If I hit the simplify option, that's not, that's <laughs> it's not bad, like though. the easier tabs. So I, I have a really hard time with like the strumming patterns where it's like down, up, down, up, 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 down like that stuff i I can't do it i can do like the very simplified versions of songs but like (laughs) i i started to do that uh i became obsessed with making cheeseburgers was like my big i saw dude i was making cheeseburgers like every week for a while dude my wife was gonna kill they look so good and if you if anybody doesn't follow maxwell on instagram he'll he'll what's your instagram hand it's maxwell rbr it's the same as my twitter handle. yeah yeah follow him because like he posts like some really amazing like healthy foods that he's cooking yeah it's like food ice cream me without my shirt on and burgers it's like the main (laughs) the main things you're getting on there dude i love it but yeah so that was like the other thing i got really into is like i dove insanely deep into burger culture um i can (laughs) like it's its own thing that i didn't know existed but do you post on like burger message boards and stuff i don't The, the the one like message board habit i picked up and, and like I feel gross saying it is like NBA draft message boards. Oh no! Um, which I think was like it was inevitable. Like it's in my blood. My dad coaches basketball. Uh, like me and my sisters all played. One of my brother in laws is a coach. So I've always been like really into like just dissecting basketball at a level that most people are like, all right, like shut up. This isn't interesting no, anymore. You, you've always so, been the most like basketball guy that I know. Yeah, yeah. So like I um found like some really good youtube channels that do like film deep dives and stuff like that and i'll just like be watching basketball films some days and christina's like oh are you watching the game and i'm like no i'm watching people like dissect the game of 18 year old australian prospect josh giddy who may be a lottery pick in the draft this year and she's like you're insane but, uh so like that's like the one message board thing i fell into is like debating with people about how good 18 year olds are at basketball but that's pretty fun yeah I mean, like something similar, like, so obviously since most of the pandemic, like wrestling really wasn't happening, uh, specifically like freelance stuff. So like I had a lot of free time on my hands, like for the first time in like a decade. Well, and with, I I don't think people understand like indie wrestling from the promoter perspective, because it's not, it's one of those things where it's not like I need to sit down for eight hours today and do my wrestling promoting. It's just something that pops up whenever it's the most inconvenient and Always. you have to deal with it immediately. Yes. Cause everybody, everybody in wrestling waits to the last possible minute to do shit. Like usually. And, mm-hmm. Like you said, it's always at the in most inconvenient times. Like I'm about to go to bed and there's fucking people blowing up my phone or some shit. I'm like, oh, 
but uh like during covid time i was like i love how when we started i was like oh every podcast we yeah. just started talking and then that's like immediately what we talked about <laughs> but uh i so i fell back in in love with football like i hadn't really yeah. like like you know I, I i've always like been into football but like since i started wrestling and stuff i didn't have a lot of time i was always on the road like on weekends so i never got to like that's watch true. games yeah and so like I just fucking was watching as much football as possible, uh, both college and, you know, NFL. And like similar to how you were saying about about the NBA draft lottery stuff, like mm-hmm. I was, you know, just super, super into like all the all the Heisman stuff that was happening and just kind of like I'm going to like I want to follow where all these guys are going, like what their things are, like what why are they here? Like what did they yeah. do to get to this point? And even to the point like I'm a big, you know, Florida Gators fan. So like. I started like looking into like okay who are like people that they're trying to recruit and so now I'm like I'm following all like the, these like freshman recruits on like it's, Twitter and yeah. Instagram and stuff. It's such a rabbit hole and then like there are times you're just like I can't believe I'm like following what a 17 year old is yeah. doing on social media and you feel like a creep but it's like nah this is just my thing this is what dude I mean and then like at one the, the the moment where I was like okay I need to fucking calm down is like one of the dudes like he posted something on like his Instagram story and mm-hmm. I like I saw it I was like hell yeah man can't wait to see you play and i was like why the fuck are you messaging this dude like he for one he's not gonna see it or respond and like be yeah. like why just 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 watch just watch football that's all you need mm-hmm. to do yeah but like i don't know like something like that's so fun because like college players are still like really quirky and i think i think what the appeal to college athletics is is like sometimes you get kevin durant and he's being guarded by a guy who's gonna be an accountant in a year <laughs> And like that is the funniest thing that can possibly happen. Like it's, it's it's really amusing. And then you get all sorts of bizarre stories. Like I remember Jake Fromm, who was a Georgia quarterback, was also like on the college fishing team there. Like there's just all <laughs> sorts of weird personalities that you come across in college sports. College football, I think, is probably like probably is the greatest wealth of that of any sport. That's um, insane. That's that's really funny though. But yeah, like it's I don't know. You come across so many amusing people and amusing anecdotes that. I don't know. It's rewarding. And especially like nowadays, like because of social media and stuff, you literally feel like if you if you follow them on like Instagram or, or Twitter and stuff like that and you and you see their shit almost daily, it's like it's almost like you're friends with this person in a way. Yeah, like the parasocial relationship thing is real. Like you feel like you get to know these people and they become not like characters because it's it's a deeper human thing than that. Yeah. But you do form like real psychological connections to these people. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm now following. Uh, so like Kyle Trask, who was like the the big Florida Florida's uh, quarterback this year, got drafted by the the Buccaneers, and so I'm like I follow him on like everything, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, like he was posting photos of his dog, and I was like, oh, his dog's pretty cute. His dog's got its own Instagram. So now I'm following the dog on Instagram because I was like, I lo- like that's most of my my social media now like is just wrestling football baseball or animals yeah the animals on social media thing is great like i think some people are like oh it's like so corny or whatever it's like no i'm i'm following like eight different pages that just have red pandas on them like that's that's all i want out of life sometimes i uh this is another thing i got into i started to follow a lot of different like cat uh cat rescue places um fostering cats Mm -hmm. and then one my favorite i go to this instagram like first thing every morning is a feral cat colony in ohio whoa that this lady runs she's like a 57 year old lady and 
she like there she's in Youngstown, Ohio, and there's a feral cat problem there. So she like found clusters of these feral cats and has just built different colonies for them. And every day she goes around to her different colonies and just feeds the feral cats and like updates what she's doing for them. So they need different shots and stuff like that every now and then. That's insane. Um, so she like, will keep detailed logs. She's got like 70 cats that she takes care do you, of. Do you know what what's her page called? Yeah. Um, let me pull it up. Cause that's, that's awesome. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, I know like all of the cats now and it's crazy. Cause like they're feral. So like some of them, she like has taken care of some of these cats for like eight years and she's like yeah i've still never pet this cat because this cat's fair like it does not want to be pet yeah, yeah and some of them are like nicer but they're bonded to other cats in the colony so she's like all right i'm not gonna just take this cat and like put it in somebody's house like this cat wants to be here with its other cat friends that's um, crazy so it, it is just feral cat colony one word on on instagram on instagram yeah that's really cool i'm gonna follow that later yeah i don't know I, and this is like weird rabbit holes I would not have gone down. <laughs> Unless we had all this free <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, if I was just in my office 24-7. But. God. Um, well, like, so you you mentioned, like, well, you're, you're like I said, you're the, one of the biggest basketball people I know. Yeah. Like, so how fucking weird has this these last two seasons been where we had <sighs> the, the shortened bubble season and then yeah. this season is also a shortened season, right? I think this season, like this regular season was less legitimate than the playoffs were last year. It's so weird. Any sense. How do you because, feel like, about this like play playing? I like the play-in. You think it's cool? I, I think like it's cool play-in. too. I, I Yeah, I, th- I know that like LeBron was against it and Mark Cuban was against it, but at the end of the day, it's an entertainment product and I like the idea. I think, I think it... It works in two ways. Um, there was a higher level of care about regular season games toward the end of the season because the seeding mattered because mm-hmm. you had to be a top six seed or else you were in the play in for the seed seven through ten. Um, so teams that were in like the five and six spot were trying harder in games at the end of the season that they normally would have just been like, all right, we're in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the other side of that. And I'm like as pro tanking as you can get. <laughs> Uh, as a 76ers fan, but um, it did kind of stop tanking because the Wizards were horrible to start this season. Yeah, And I think in a non-play-in season, they would have been like, all right, well, this is like a lost year. Let's just tank. But this year, it was like, oh, no, like we're if we can get to the 10 spot, we'll still be in the play-in. Yeah. It's like they kept trying. And I think uh, even like Charlotte, after like Gordon Hayward got injured or a team like the Pacers who just had a horrible coach this season <laughs> – um, I don't know. I think you got more teams trying until the end than you normally get. So I think we got in some ways like a better end of regular season product. Weren't the, I, I think I saw something that like the Clippers were trying to like tank at the end of the season. Yes. So they didn't have to play the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. So they were purposefully losing games to move from the three seed to the four seeds. They would play the Mavericks instead of potentially facing the Lakers in the second round. Yeah. So it wouldn't have even been like a it wouldn't have even been a first round game against the Lakers. That's weird. And then the Lakers ended up getting just fucked. losing. Yeah. Anthony Davis got hurt. The role players all turned he's into He's always hurt. He's hurt a lot. And it's he's only twenty eight. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I he thought was he was a one like... and done guy and it's so like he's been in the NBA forever. Jesus. But yeah, like he's it's only twenty eight and he's still injured all the time what do you think they're gonna do next year like do you think lebron's gonna stick around oh yeah i think he will i think i think they just need to flip all their role players and i don't know how 
easy that's going to be or how much cap space they're going to have. I think they just need shooting. Like, I think you look at a team like the Jazz this season who don't have real, like, superstar talent. And I'm sure that if you're a Jazz fan, you're Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are superstars. <laughs> uh, and I, they, I don't know, Rudy Gobert kind in of In comparison in to the rest of the team, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, like, if every role player on their team could just shoot the shit out of the ball. And I think that's what the Lakers need. I think they just need guys that can hit shots. And you just put three guys that can hit shots around LeBron and AD. And even if they can't defend, you still have LeBron and AD. So your defense is still going to be average. Yeah. Just because of those two guys alone. So I think they just need shooting. And and that's it. I, I think that um, Montrez Harrell is a disappointment. Schroeder was good all season and then got COVID and was rough yeah. in the playoffs. Um but the, I don't know, like they signed Wes Matthews, who like this just happened to be the year the bottom fell out and he got too old. And like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's too difficult of a turnaround for them. Uh, we were talking about this at work because of the whole like with him, with LeBron kind of like walking out, walking out of the game, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. And, and I'm like, like, that's so weird because he's always been like, I'm the I'm the guy like I love the game and all this shit. And then it's like four four minutes left in the game, and he just kind of like he's like, "All right, peace. I'm not shaking anybody's hand. I'm I'm going back to the locker room." Yeah, like ooh, okay. I, th- I feel like everyone tries like really hard to psychoanalyze LeBron, and then a couple years ago, I was like, he's just like kind of corny. And like once you like reach that conclusion, like I don't think LeBron's evil. Like I don't think he's a bad guy. No, it's like, like he's kind of corny. And like he, once I came to that conclusion, I was like, all right, like that. Yeah, like that just explains everything he does. Like. Like his cheesy Taco Tuesday Instagram <laughs> videos, like he's just like a, a big cornball. Like he he says a lot of stuff that he doesn't really mean. But like I don't think he's I don't know like he's like evil. I laughed at like his post game where he's just like, all right, well I guess I'm gonna go get ready to play with Bugs and Taz and <laughs> and take on the Monstars or the <laughs> yeah. or whatever the fuck. Like he was just ready to promote uh mm-hmm. promote Space Jam, and I was like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I respect that to a degree. Yeah, I don't know. I, I also think he wants to... I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen. He has said that he wants to play with his son. Oh, wow. Who's, I think, like a... I think he's in high school. Um, and I think he's, like, going to be... It sounds like he's... I don't watch high school kids generally, but it sounds like he's going to be an NBA player. But I'm just intrigued assume. to see what... Like, how does that work? How would... like? Because, like, that would be at least another... Like, let's say he's... I think it lines up with the expiration of his Lakers contract. So I'm what? Not he's mistaken. So he waits I, to see where his son gets drafted. That's and then what he I'm goes wondering. There. Yeah, like is he going to be like, hey, hey, here's the deal. Like you get dra- you draft Bronny, and I'm signing with your team. And then like, does that change things? Like, is Bronny realistically a, like somebody who should be picked twentieth? But the team that's picking first is like, yeah, but we're going to get LeBron James also <laughs> and sell a ton of jerseys. Like, then do you do you pick him one? Like, how did how is that going to unfold? It's well, it's a business. Yeah, NBA is a business. Like I'm, I'm super intrigued to see how that entire thing plays out in a couple of years. That's like, and it's funny because like, like I didn't I didn't know that about him yeah. wanting to play with his son. Like I was like, if he if he leaves, like if he would have left the Lakers like after this season, I was like, I don't know where the fuck he's gonna go. Like I don't yeah. like, like. He's definitely not gonna go back to Cleveland. <laughs> no. Like, yeah, uh, he does not want to watch Colin Sexton dribble for twenty three seconds. Like that's <laughs> no, no interest to him. God, I don't know, but the like the Bulls have been like doing some cool stuff lately. Yeah, I'm scared. Did you see the Kobe White news today? Are they talking about trading him still? No, he he screwed up his shoulder. 
and they're not going to be able to reevaluate him for four months. What? So, yeah. So Why? he's like, it's it's bad. Like it's a bad shoulder injury. What did he do? I don't know. Did he hit by he a was, fucking car. <laughs> it was like during. They said it was during basketball activity that was not at like a team facility. So it sounds like he was just playing basketball with friends. Uh, um, that's fucking great. But he's not going to have an off season. And here's my concern. I look at the Eastern Conference. And we missed the playoffs this year, and I don't really see any of the teams ahead of us getting that much worse. Maybe, I maybe Washington blows it up because that's a team that's just been like spinning their tires. Maybe Bradley Beal just says he's done. Yeah, uh, I think the Knicks are going to regress. I know a lot of people they were are starting like, oh, to like Knicks get were hot really good this year. I, I don't. Buy I know. It. I was getting tagged in a lot of tweets on <laughs> on accident. There were. <laughs> there, there was a lot of like weird stuff with that team. If you look at the analytics, where uh, like just teams shot absurdly low on free throws against them, and teams hit like a disproportionately low percentage of threes against them that were like wide open threes. So like I th- I, I think that there was a little bit of luck into the record this season. Yeah. So I think they'll be a little bit worse. I don't think they're going to be terrible or anything, but I think they'll take like a small step back before they take another step forward. Well, they got, what do they have for this draft lottery? They're like, so what, they pick eight. No. So they have like the ninth and 21st pick. Oh, okay. um, which this draft is weird. So I don't yeah, Okay. Explain to me how this draft lottery shit mm-hmm. works. Cause I, I get confused about it too. Cause yeah. they were like, well, if this happens, then this, they could drop to this number or this. And I'm yeah. like, I don't, well, I don't understand. Okay, so 14 teams. Basically, every team that is not in the official playoff, like the one through eight seeded each conference playoff, you are given a certain number of ping pong balls, and they do a lottery. And the Uh-oh. worse your team is, the more ping pong balls you have. <laughs> okay. Um, But the percentage... So a couple years ago, this is... So let's do some quick deep dive NBA history. Uh, a couple years ago, the 76ers were being very bad on purpose. Oh, yeah. Because they realized that the fastest way to rebuild is to be very bad for several years in a row, win the draft lottery, or do well in it every single year, get a lot of ping pong balls, draft star players, and go from there. So they did what was called smoothing out the lottery odds. So now, even if you're the worst team in the NBA, like your odds at winning the lottery are still only like 25%. Because of the Sixers? Or yeah. Just... Yeah. They changed the lottery rules because the Sixers <laughs> were tanking too often and like kept getting the number one pick. God. Um, so Good on them, I guess. Oh, it was awesome. It was great. Uh, so basically, like it's like number, if you're the worst team in the league, you've got like 25% chance. And like the next team, it's like 14%. And then it's lower and lower. Um, but it gets complicated because teams will make trades. So, for example, the Bulls this year traded their first-round pick to the Magic in the trade for Vucevic. Yeah. But they put what was called a protection on their draft pick, which means if when they do the lottery and they draw the ping-pong balls, if the Bulls happen to get a top-four pick, they get to keep their pick. Holy shit. Which there's only a 20% chance. But there's a 20% chance... That the Bulls luck out, get Vucevic in the trade, and get a top four pick in this draft. When do we? When do they find out when the uh, the, the lottery is in like a week and a half? Ooh. So yeah, that's fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the protections make it interesting, and then like conversely, I think the Rockets, who are really bad this year, if their pick falls out of the top four, they lose their pick. Oh. And then same thing with the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, uh, if their pick isn't in the top four, Golden State gets their pick. 
That's nuts. So yeah, so there's a lot of like the the build for the lottery itself is one thing, and then the draft is is the other. So and then the draft is not for another year. The draft is in July. Oh really? Yes, the lottery's in June, and then draft in July. I feel like. Well, we just had like the draft in like the draft this year was in November. Okay, I was gonna say <laughs> because everything I was on back. I was in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and this year's draft is kind of weird. So there's a guy, Cade Cunningham, who's gonna be the number one pick. Who's great. He he plays like every star player in the NBA now, like Luca and like LeBron to a degree. He's more Luca than LeBron. Like he's not he, the athlete. He like LeBron they is. do like pickup games and stuff or. Or are you saying he compares to them? Like stylistically, oh, okay. he plays like them. Like he's he's a he's a six foot eight forward size player who is acts as a primary ball handler. So he can play point guard on offense, but on defense, he's going to play forward. He's going to rebound. He's going to do bigger player stuff. Okay. Um. So he's really good. And then two, three, and four is kind of interesting mix. You have Jalen Suggs, who's the point guard on Gonzaga that went to the national championship. There's this guy, Yvonne Mobley, who played at USC. He's a center, and he is all legs. Like, his body's like 90% legs and then <laughs> awesome. 10% torso. He's a torso with a head on top. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he's really good. He's, like, a really good defensive player, but he, like, also dribbles and passes really well for a big guy, and it seems like he might be able to shoot at some point. So he's really intriguing. And then there was a kid, Jalen Green, who did the uh, – he was one of the kids who went from high school straight to the G League. Oh, and he is a freak. I'm I'm really into Jalen Green. Uh, he's he's like a more athletic Zach Levine. Okay, like he is an outrageous athlete. Uh, he's gonna play guard. His passing like could be better. He could be a better defender, but athletically he's got it all. And then after that, it's like a glut of players that everybody has different opinions on. Oh, so like most years there's like a consensus where it's like, all right, these guys will be the top five. And these guys will go from like six to 10 and then 10 to 14 will be these guys after it's like, there's those four. There's a guy Kuminga who's going to go fifth probably. And then this guy, Scotty Barnes from Florida state is going to go sixth. And after that, there's like no consensus between seven and like 35. It's a crapshoot. It's a complete crapshoot because this year it's a lot of guys that are either, um, not athletic, but will fill a very particular role. Like guys, it's like, Oh, this guy's going to play good defense or this guy will shoot threes, but he's not a good athlete. And then guys that have outrageous athleticism and no basketball skills whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so this is a real, like, you're throwing a dart at a dartboard type of draft. That's kind of fun, though. Like, it well, is. I guess it's super it's, interesting. In, in the way of, like, like it's fun to kind of see, like, who's going to, like, make or break. Yeah. But I guess it's not fun if you're an organization drafting somebody that you're expecting to be, like, a fucking well, superstar. No, and it kind of puts you in a corner, too, because <laughs> it's like, do I make the choice of being, like, I'm going to grab this guy that's really safe when someone could get picked one spot after this that becomes a star player? Oh, yeah. Like, you don't want to make that choice, but you might feel like you have to. So it's, it's going to be an interesting draft. I don't think it's as deep as like like last year's draft was weak at the top but it's really deep and this year it's just it's kind of a mess after like the top six guys it would be nuts if they did it like like the order was was generated like randomly just completely and then like whoever the fucking whoever like you all these players enter into the draft and then it's mm-hmm. just generated randomly of who goes to where <laughs> just like a complete like a random draw yeah so it's like literally like oh shit they got this guy like <laughs> That would be nuts. Like, what, there was a proposal a couple years ago that this guy made called the wheel, 
and the idea, <laughs> the, the idea, this is like an, like an earnest thing that was presented to the NBA when they're talking about reforming the lottery. It was literally just everyone gets the first pick once every thirty years. That's uh, okay. Which is like I kind of like it, but it's also terrifying that it's like because I feel like if you get the number one pick and they stink, like that entire city is gonna hate you forever. To make, oh. oh, the one year we got the number one pick and we drafted this asshole. Oh, like if there was nobody like ready for yeah, the pick? Yeah, or? like if you take somebody number one and then they just end up being awful. Oh, I mean, that's I guess there's always that. It happens. Um, but yeah, that, there was like one proposal where it was like every year they would just rotate and just a Who different would team would pick one. number one. And then it was like, then you pick one and then you pick 16 and then you pick 30th. So it would be like a rotation of like you draft at the top, the middle, and then the end, like every like three years. Interesting. And it would just kind of cycle through. I mean, that seems kind of fair. It does, seems but it also just seems like, imagine like if your team just had like the worst season ever and it's like, oh, well, the, the wheel says we're picking last this year. <laughs> <laughs> like, that'd just be fucking brutal. Like you can't, yeah, you can't do is, that. That is, that is true. Mm-hmm. God. Okay. Um, we should probably switch topics now. Yeah. So people yeah, are yeah. like, <laughs> we're like I, all this NBA I, talk. It's so boring. Yeah. But, uh, so I wanted you to, t- I don't know, I'm sure you've told this story a million times. Okay. But, so you, at one point, were the lead commentator at Freelance Wrestling. Yes. And also, you, you booked for a bit, too. Yep. Uh, talk about, oh, it got really dark out there. Yeah. Um, talk about, like, how, how did you break, well... Yeah, how did you break into wrestling? I guess like like tell tell the story about like how you because everybody always has like some fucking weird story yeah. of how they got into the business. I feel like mine is I, I like proudly think mine is one of the weirder ones. <laughs> so I wanted to get into wrestling, and I really ultimately just wanted to do commentary and book. Like I half was like, oh, I'll be a wrestler, but not really. Like I just wanted to do the other stuff. Um, so I started to like look up wrestling schools, and I was a big. Uh, Chikara mark when I was in high school. Oh yeah. Um, at its peak at that time. Yeah, yeah. So that that was like 2006, 2007, and I'm like, all right, like this is yeah. Well, I like want to do stuff with Chikara, so I was like, all right, well maybe I will like when I get to college, I'll go to college in like Pennsylvania, and then I can train at the Chikara Wrestle Factory. <laughs> um, so I'm like, all right, what? Well, that's that's my plan. And then I was like, oh, I'm like, I got impatient like any kid does. And I was like, well, maybe there's like wrestling stuff around me that I can do. And I found that I lived in Elmhurst, Illinois. And I found that in Villa Park, Illinois, a mere 15 minutes from my home was a Lucha Libre training center. Uh, oh, yeah. For the promotion that we we now know and love as Golly. And I was like, this is perfect. Because I'm going to go train in authentic Lucha Libre. And then I'll like go to college in Pennsylvania. And I'll be ready to go at the Chikara school. And be like, oh, I already know Lucha. <laughs> so, I, uh, so I go to the Lucha training center. And like I don't know what I expected. Um, but I, I talked to Carlos, who's still the promoter there. And he was like... Shout out, Carlos. Yeah, Carlos is the man. And he like told me on the phone. He was like, just so you know, like... They speak Spanish. He was like, do you speak Spanish? And I was like, no. And he's like, you can go if you want. And like, Carlos is really cool about it. Like, he was like, you can come. And like, he's like, I won't charge you the first time. Like, just come check it out. And like, if you wanted to, it, you can. 
So I did. Like it was. I I remember the date. It was January fifth, two thousand eight. Because um, I like made a point of like writing it in my high school journal. I'd be like January fifth, two thousand eight. The journey begins. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I went to the Gali Training Center, and oh god, what was the guy's name? Was this was it at the, the Swap Mart too? Yes, it was time? at the, it was at the five star Swap Meet, the legendary um, Swap Mart. I was just like joking around with somebody the other day about the guy who was the trainer then um i saw somebody tweet that it's the corrigan hall of the midwest i always say that yeah that's i always call it the corrigan hall that is that is fucking 90 promotions run there so it's like a funny thing called yakuza yakuza Yakuza. then so i i go there and like one guy in the class spoke english and he like translated everything for me and was like all right we're gonna do these roles we're gonna do these roles whatever and like i did it and it was like he just had me doing like the super basic stuff and like it's great i like loved it so i like trained there for like three months holy shit so i just kept going back yeah i started to just give carlos my dues and train and like two two or three people every class would speak english and just tell me what to do uh yakuza famously not like the best trainer like now like you go to Gali and like for a while it was like discovery was there. Like there was like yeah. actual, like legit people there. Like gringo loco is there and stuff like that. So it's like real luchadors. But back then I think the perfect way to sum up my training was the first three moves I learned arm drag, hip toss, fisherman suplex. <laughs> so, <laughs> like just the, the not, not the finest trade. Cause it was like literally just like people doing a move and you just be like, Hey, do you want to do this? And I'd be like, yeah, see what i did do it yeah 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 yeah. so uh it was it was like a bit of a disaster when i was having fun and then like one training session all of a sudden like all these white dudes come in the room i'm like (laughs) what the hell is this like who are these guys and like we finished and then they were getting in the ring and doing wrestling stuff and i was like what the hell is going on and uh one of the people who like james who now runs freelance underground like was like hey like do you know if we have like english language training here <laughs> and i was like i had no idea carlos just never told me that there was also an american wrestling school operating out of the same building that's so carlos though like not even that he was like oh like like purposely not telling you mm-hmm. he probably literally was just like oh yeah i guess like because yeah, he wants to learn lucha yeah, yeah you specified you wanted to learn lucha you, like he probably didn't even think like oh yeah well there's just like american wrestling here oh, too and like i i would guarantee that if there was a recording of my first phone call with carlos i was like i'm interested in the lucha libre school like i probably didn't even say wrestling like i was, I was probably like i need to impress them by saying lucha libre um, oh man but that's how i started and then i started to do stuff um like i started to set up rings at golly shows and then the original underground wrestling started. I set up rings there and I did that kind of stuff until uh, James eventually gave me a break and let me do commentary. And then that was kind of my gateway into everything I did in wrestling. Do you remember the first show you called? Like, do you remember? Not really. Um, I think I did like random matches on golly shows. Oh, it was okay. the first commentary I ever did, um, which was nerve wracking because I know James went to bat for me because when I was in college, I had a radio show. And he listened to my college radio show. Really? And was like, like, like one time. Like oh. He like listened to it and was He's like scouting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like legitimately, he was like, okay, like I know that you can talk into a microphone now. And then he like went to bat for me with Carlos, and like had me commentate a few matches on a golly show. And then uh, that helped get my foot in the door. He ran a show. I did that show, and then I got a foot in the door with 
Jordan at Vanguard. I started to do the Vanguard shows and then underground shows. And then you started running with freelance and I got in there. Dang. That's, that's pretty cool though. Yeah. It's really hard to get your foot in the door with commentary. Cause like, I feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, I want to do commentary. And it's like, I got really lucky. And I also got lucky because I knew people for a couple of years. Like I, I was willing to like eat shit and just set up rings for like two years before I got a yeah. chance. Cause it's like, I might as well. Like, you were doing arm drags for two years. <laughs> yeah. I immediately like stopped training as soon as I met James though. And he was like, Hey, you can do like other stuff in wrestling. I was like, all right, cool. Done. Literally. <laughs> fuck. Well, yeah. um, what, I guess, what would you say off the top of your head? Like what are, like what are some of your favorite matches that you called? Yeah. So there's a couple that spring to mind. Um, one of the first ones is a lot of these are freelance. Cause like, freelance rocks um so uh i'm trying to i'm trying to like think back to like even like early days freelance um because the abbey ruled because you were a day one -er. yeah yeah and then like i remember that first show is maybe this is like folklore i made up in my head but didn't the crowd get bigger throughout the first show i or am i making that up i feel like it was probably a thing like i think it was people kind of just stumbling in like, like at the bar and yeah. they're like oh what's going on in there i'm gonna buy a ticket and come into the wrestling show i think so um i because i remember like throughout that night being like oh my god because like a lot of promotions like and, and i don't want to like crap on anybody or whatever but um a lot of the promotions i was doing at that time were smaller and i just remember coming home after doing that show and being like, I'm commentating for a promotion that's going to blow up. <laughs> like it, it was so cool. Um, it had that energy there though. It did. It did. Um, yeah. Cause I remember loving the Abbey, but I feel like a lot, I feel like my favorite matches were all like bottom lounge matches or matches like at chop house, like that kind of era. Yeah. Um, the one that I always remember is Isaiah and Sally stitches on the March 2016 freelance show. Oh yeah. Um, cause I remember that was the first time I ever got goosebumps commentating a match. Like it was just during the match and the crowd was just unglued. Wanting to see. So Sally stitches, if you're not familiar, you may know as Ruby riot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the best wrestlers in the world. And the crowd was just so behind her during that match that I, I was just getting chills. It's it was like incredible. Insane. Like yeah. how, how much they loved her. And like, I feel like with our with our crowd specifically, like it, I would say it was like eighty percent like wrestling fans, and yeah. then like twenty percent of people that were just like, "Yo, I like we're going just to a here. bar and drinking, and this is awesome." Yeah, and those people were louder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, because I remember one of my like step cousins messaged me on facebook one time and was like i think one of my friends was at one of those wrestling shows that you commentate and she was like you should like talk to her or whatever so i was like just talking to her i was like hey like, like did you like the show or whatever and she was like yeah i don't really like wrestling but this is really cool like she was not a wrestling fan at all and was yeah. someone who's just like coming to freelance shows every month that's the shit that like that made me like because like anybody can like i don't want to say anybody can run a wrestling show but like mm -hmm. it takes like the right group of people and the right, like the right roster to kind of make like this sh a show like that, that, that people come, uh, that aren't wrestling fans that come there and they're just like, yo, I don't know what the fuck was going on, but I know that I had a good time and I want to come back again. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that kind of fell on the talent shoulders too, because of 
just like indie wrestling in general where everyone's got merch tables and stuff like that i feel like freelance is like a true community and i think a lot of wrestling persons are like, oh, we're like a family and we like all of our fans but i feel like freelance is the one place i've ever been where it's like that's like actually the truth it really kind of felt that way and it still yeah. does feel that way like we have like this weird like i don't know it's like, just like a shared yeah. experience that everyone has and everyone is a part of it yeah yeah um but yeah, that was one. The Ali Isaiah match was the other one. The the one the, the, the one first... where Ali won the belt. The second oh, one. from the anniversary. Because the first anniversary. one was great too. But the anniversary show one where Ali won the belt. Um, God. Because I was a big proponent of Ali should win the belt, and I remember being so nervous. I crapped like eight times that day. <laughs> I was so like, if Ali wins the belt and does not get over, which in hindsight was never going to happen. Yeah. There was no world where Ali was going to win the title and the crowd was going to be like, this guy? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was one of those things that just at the time uh, I was super nervous about. And then as that match happened, Isaiah is so good. If, like criminally underrated. Beyond underrated. Like if I win the lottery, I'm just going to give Isaiah a million dollars. Just because. because like in like back pay, the professional wrestling should have given him at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, he's the man and, and that match was absurd and I just remember like that was one of those matches that commentating it it was like from a creative perspective I knew what we were going for and it was like alright we've got the crowd doing exactly what we want them to be doing and it it was awesome uh, and then the Ali GPA match uh, like two months later oh a cho- uh, the chop shop yep yeah. and then on that same show the TLC with Jazz and Bryce against with Steve and Chris the- yeah was really good um, and then like that entire December show. Yes, that was triple, triple threat. threat. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That sh- that whole show top to bottom might be one of my favorite shows that we ever did. I think. Yeah, I like it's it's in that category for sure. Um, but yeah, and, and my dad was at that show and my brother in law was at that show. So that was like a special one for me, too, that it's like my family is getting to see this thing I've been involved in and see that people like it. And that was like just super <laughs> rewarding. It's, is it one of those things? I don't know if it was for you, but like with with my parents, like they were always like, oh, this wrestling thing, it's cool. But like eventually, like you'll probably have to get a real job. And then like they came to freelance shows and yeah. then they saw like just the the whole everything and then just seeing how successful it was. And, and then they're just like, oh, this is this could be a, a real career. And now my dad like literally yeah. just like all he does is talk about me <laughs> and freelance to anybody that'll yeah. fucking listen. Yeah. So my my mom initially was like i can't believe we're actually venturing into this because my mom's like a businesswoman like Mm -hmm. she's like very it's like she's a professional person um my so my dad was always a fan my dad's dad was a fan and my that's cool and my grandpa's mom was a fan really in like the carnival days of professional wrestling like they would my grandpa said that his first memories of wrestling was like his mom would take him to the carnival and be like, I'm going to watch the wrestling matches. Here's like some nickels. Go play games. Wow. Yeah. So like everyone on like that side of my family was a wrestling fan. Um, So my dad like took me to indie shows and stuff. So my dad always got it. But I think freelance was the first time that he was like, oh, he's like on to something. Like he's actually doing something that is of consequence. Because he'd seen like Ring of Honor and stuff like that. And he was like, this is this is close to that um, from that era. And I remember like the biggest compliment I think I ever got was after um, there. I remember my parents came to one of the shows in 
like it was in December of either 2014 or 2015 when DJZ wrestled Isaiah. I think that might have been 2014. Yes. And it was the first time that we did the Christmas like fans bring the weapons thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And my mom loved that. Which like shocked me. Which I have a good story for that, but keep okay, going. Keep so she going. like ate that up, and my dad was like, "Oh, this is like a cool indie promotion that like, you're part of, whatever." And then he came to that December 2016 show, which is like the last like full time show I did with freelance. And I remember after that show, he was like, "How do you compare like that crowd to like the ROH crowds when I used to take you to ROH?" And that was in, like oh seven, oh six, oh seven, and I was like, like pretty similar. He's like, "I think that crowd was better," and I was like, oh, yeah, "Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, like, dad, I did it." <laughs> so like. That that for me was a big deal. And the other thing on that show too that always like meant way more to me than people realize is like one of my memories of going to a show with my dad where he was having like the time of his life was an ROH show that Kiku Taro was on. Yes. And then Kiku was on the last freelance show that I was that I did full time. Oh. And yeah. my dad was at that show. Oh shit. So it was like him? No, I don't know. I don't know if oh. he did. But like the experience of being like, I've made it to a point that I'm now working on a show with a guy that my dad saw that he thought was awesome, like <laughs> thirteen years before or whatever. So like that was that was really cool for me. God, it's it's so funny. Like looking back at that, like and and Kiku, who's a fucking legend. He's so good. And just like like growing up watching him and shit, yeah. and then like booking him on shows, and now like he'll just randomly message me to say hi. Yeah, and I'm like, this is so fucking weird. Like still, yeah. God, yeah, that stuff like never stops being surreal. I love that. Like, um, and, I, and I know people sometimes will be like, "Oh, don't mark out over shit like that," but like, it's very cool. It's cool, man. Like, it's cool to 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 feel like emotions, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that's that's one of the things too that my uh, my nephew started to get into watching wrestling clips on YouTube a while ago. Oh shit! And the one thing that he would always ask me about was he was like, "You were on a show with Hornswoggle," <laughs> like because like, it always because like he was a big WLC fan. Oh, and yes. like that was like that's like a match that he got a big kick out of. So he'd always ask me about Hornswoggle, and so like that's great. I talked to Hornswoggle for maybe twenty seconds, but my nephew thinks we're like best. Your friends. best friends, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, no, no. So the uh, the Christmas yes. Christmas chaos match. So yeah. Um. So you know you know Ian. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, do, have you ever met Nigel? Nigel yes. Bravo? Yes, yeah, yeah, I've met Nigel. So are you familiar with the bag of glass? Vaguely? <laughs> okay. So the little backstory. He so where he lives, uh like Blue Island area, something happened. Somebody broke into his car and they, like okay. they busted his window. So he put all the glass in this like shopping bag and it was just sitting in his trunk for like ever. Yeah. So for that fans bring the weapons match, he took the bag of glass and put it in a present box. No. And and during the match <laughs> During the match, you see Yabo opens the opens he's opened up boxes. He opens up the box. He looks in there. <laughs> sees that it's just a bag of glass and just puts it to the side. He's just like, "Nope. <laughs> no fucking so, way." So then like Nigel being Nigel goes and he retrieves his bag of glass. And now there is a documentary on YouTube about the bag of glass. So if you go, if you go to That's Stoke Crow Comedy's YouTube channel, you can watch the bag of glass documentary, uh, following the entire chronicles of this bag of glass. That's phenomenal. But it's just hilarious that like all these like weird offshoots from like from wrestling shit. And like, you're wrestling so great. Like it's the dumbest <laughs> thing in the world, but it's so good. Like there's just the stories that come out of it are tremendous. 
God, do you do you miss uh, wrestling? I know I've, I fucking bug you every couple of months about coming back <laughs> to do commentary or something. Yeah, I I do and I don't. I miss like I miss the high that comes with it. I don't miss the crippling anxiety that comes with being involved in pro wrestling, bro. Like as an anxiety, a big time anxiety guy, I don't miss it. And like I, I would like vanity search and i was good about it i never responded to criticism i wouldn't like every single tweet whatever i would vanity search like freelance related stuff every single day oh same and, like read everything and i couldn't stop myself and people go just don't do it i can't you can't help like, it. i don't have that inside me i don't have that ability so i i, st- I stepped away and like i that was like the healthier option for me because like i can't I can't be involved in something and not put my all into it. And like, yeah. that's just my life in general. Like I have a very hard time. Um, and like, I wonder, I don't know. I like part of me wonders if it's because like just historically, like, a, there's a lot of like addiction issues and like my family on both sides and things like that. Like, I wonder if that is part of it, that it's just like, I, I have a very hard time just like dabbling and stuff. Like I've never been able to just be like, I'm going to like kind of get interested in this. Like yeah. when I get into stuff, I go all into you it. Put, yeah, so. you put your everything into it. And it showed yeah. like that that era of freelance that, that you were booking like was arguably some of the best shows that we ever had. Yeah. I think I think Ethan Page, like the era where like Ethan Page and Kylie were feuding on top was tremendous. Um, Like recent, like that was pretty yeah. recent. Like that stuff was really good. Um, and that shit just literally wrote itself. Yeah. Um, but I was like very proud of what I did. Um, but at the same time, like, and I don't know, I have, I have like some like legitimate obsessive compulsive tendencies. Like I, um, to get, to get personal, like I'll like check to make sure I turned off my coffee maker like five times every morning. So I'm like the same kind of guy too. That's like when I am putting together matches and stories, it's like, I need everything to click into place. I need everything to make sense. And like, that doesn't really work with indie wrestling to a degree because stuff happens all the time. Like you're talking about how like people would just be like, Oh, I can't come or like, Oh, like my car broke down or like, yeah. Oh, this happened. Oh, actually I don't want to lose to this person. (laughs) And like that type of mindset just does not really click very well with indie wrestling and it can make a really good product. But I think it's like, you're going to just burn yourself out at a certain point. And I think that's kind of what happened to me. Like, I think I did kind of get burnt out. Like I think about some of the ideas I had like going forward toward the end. And I'm like, I think for everybody involved, it's best that I got out when I did because like my stuff for like January, February, March was just really vanilla. Like it wasn't super inspiring. So I think, I don't know. Like, I think it's good that it happened how it did. Um, you told your stories and you got out. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And like some of the stories I told, like I was really proud, like the Christian Rose Shug feud is like something I'm super proud of. It was very day. good. Um, and like, I, and that was like collaborative too. Like both those guys had input on that. Uh, that wasn't all me. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I miss the rush of the crowd. I miss the highs of it, but I do not miss most of the time, <laughs> which is just like Dude. feeling anxious about it, stressing about it, worrying about how things are going to come off. I feel that hundred percent. Like I never really like, I remember, so I remember when you were like talking about stepping away, mm-hmm. like talking about the your anxiety issues. And yeah. like at that time in my life, I never really dealt with, with any anxiety i was yeah. kind of just like what do you like i just didn't understand but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah like you said it and i was like well i'm not gonna like press it like mm-hmm. i i respect your 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 decisions yeah, everybody involved is very cool about it but like until like the last couple like the last two years i feel like i've i've developed this like really like 
bad anxiety with like yeah. wrestling specifically. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, and I, I literally like, I think, I think about that all the time, like having that conversation with you. And I'm like, Oh man, like this is, this literally is probably what Maxwell felt. And I, I'm like, yeah. this sucks. I, I'm like, Oh, I understand completely. Like when you were like, I want out and I'm like, fucking hell. Yeah. And it happened really fast. Cause I remember like in October or August, after the August Chop Shop show, I was like, this is the most I've ever loved wrestling. And then a month later, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just happened so fast where I was like, I've got nothing. Like, I'm burnt out. There's nothing left in the tank. And, like, here we are. It's, like, painful to think about it, too. You're just like, yeah. Oof. Yeah. And I just remember, too, like, around that same time, um, just kind of going through like, a lot mentally and thinking, like, I don't know, like, what's my life going to be like in a few years? What do I want to do with my my shoot job, <laughs> my, my big time yeah. shooter job? Uh, like, just like all that stuff and being like, yeah, I just I don't know that I want to have like wrestling kind of tapping me on the shoulder all the time. And that was like the big thing for me was just being able to break free of that. And I and I remember, too, at the time, like you and like a couple other people were like, oh, like, why don't you just like just do commentary? And it's like, I can't like it's like to me, like. And, and it's, again, like, one of those things where it's, like, I didn't expect anybody to understand. But to me, it was, like, well, like, why don't, why, like you're an alcoholic. Like, why don't you just have one beer? Like, it yeah, felt like that. Yeah. Where it's, like, there's no way I could have, like, just done commentary and not, like, also been pitching ideas constantly and been worrying about how everything was coming <laughs> off. No, that's no, that's understandable because, mm-hmm. like, once, like, once you're at that point yeah. where you're, like, you're the one putting all the stuff together, to st- take a step back, it's kind of hard to just not that want to be involved or like you said pitch yeah. ideas and, stuff. and and i think too part of it was even like social insecurity too of being like if i did that would people think i like got fired is like from the booking <laughs> position like nick's like demoted me just back to commentary fired. <laughs> but but yeah like i would not have been able to just like take a small step back like i don't think that would have worked no i mean it's it's completely understandable and like it's like, and that's been, and then it's been the hardest part for for me because like, like I don't consider myself a good booker. Like I like some stuff that I have that I was responsible for, mm-hmm. like was okay. But I feel like a lot of the 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 better stuff with freelance came from like a collaborative effort between like I think collaboration somebody is else. king in wrestling. Yeah, it can't just be one like one like. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tunnel vision, like yes. of, of an idea. Like it's gotta be like, yeah, you can have your tunnel vision idea, but like make sure you take in, you know, from a, from B, from C and like all of that together. will you know, you'll have what you need. Yeah. And like, I remember like one guy, I wish we could have worked with more and he had like other obligations at the time that like he wasn't on shows consistently was Darren Corbin. Oh yeah. And like, remember like at the time we were doing the thing with him where he was doing like the pseudo religious yeah. gimmick. And like, I just remember like pitching that idea to him initially and being like, we want you to like be repulsed by the idea that it's like a bar show and that like the crowd is like more like open to think like sexual things and whatever. And like we did a bit with like him where he was like spanking Cody Rice and like all this stuff. <laughs> I forgot it about so that. It was so stupid. But it was so funny. Um, but people was, ate that shit up. Yeah, because like it was based on like Cody Rice initially spanking Space Monkey and like him telling him not to spank his monkey. Don't and, like, spank the monkey. Just like the dumbest shit. And like <laughs> I should like bouncing that stuff off of him and like telling him like, look, like these are like this is my baseline idea, but like I'm not a wrestler. Like I'm not in the ring. So like if you have insights that you can add to this, like 
do it. And he came up with the whole like, oh, he should spank Space Monkey and like that whole thing. Like <laughs> that was like his collaboration. Like that was like he added all of that. Like if if I'd just been like, go out there and do religious talk, like it would have it would have been way flatter. Yeah. Than like after like he contributed to it and made it something that was like hysterical, funny, dastardly, and like hit every note that you can imagine. Like I think you need that level of collaboration to like make sure that you're kind of reaching the full audience no absolutely i think especially too like when when wrestler i feel like and this isn't like fucking rocket science but i feel like when you give wrestlers some sort of like input and in what they're doing mm-hmm. then they are just more invested in what they are doing absolutely because like i i can remember like being on all sorts of shows with people where they were just pissed that they were to be there because they didn't like what they were doing yeah and like that's wrestlers love complaining yeah and like i don't blame them to a degree because a lot of promoters like just want to play real life action figures yeah and it's sometimes it works sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't most of the time it doesn't but no can can we pause for like two minutes yeah but yeah i guess we can segue into these questions Let's do it. Which, you know, it's always a crapshoot. Sometimes you get nothing. <laughs> Sometimes you get a bunch of them. This time yeah. we got a decent amount. Um, Let's start. <clears throat> we'll start with the questions from the PWT cast, which okay. rec- uh, they record their uh, podcast right across the hall from me here. So yeah. um, we got some good ones here. Dumbest looking Pokemon. <laughs> uh, the one that's just a set of keys. <laughs> Have you seen that? I have not. There's I a Pokemon in like one of the new, newer games that's literally just a set of keys. They really started getting lazy with some of these fucking designs. Yeah, Clef Key. I'm going to show you Clef Key right now. It's just a key ring. It's just keys? Yeah. Oh my God. It's just keys. All right. I saw there was like an ice cream cone one now. <laughs> I, I feel like that one's like kind of cool. <laughs> it's a, but it's it's a like, big time ice cream guy. Well, speaking of ice cream, the next question, worst ice cream topping. Um, so this is like kind of a cop out answer, but I feel like any alcohol with ice cream is like yeah. kind of gross. Like I, and, and look, I'm, I'm as pro alcohol as they come. Uh, but I've seen a lot of places start to do like hybrid flavors that are like, Oh, it'll be like a, like a, what was the one I had? It was like, banana nut rum and i had it and it was the nastiest Ooh. ice cream i've ever had uh so any kind of alcohol with ice cream i think it's an idea that people see as like a novelty but it always sucks i feel like you sh- you just shouldn't mix that kind of stuff because no. i feel like dairy and alcohol is not a good mixture yeah texturally it, it never works it becomes really like just sloppy like it doesn't i don't know it, it gets kind of icy alcohol doesn't really freeze very well no um so yeah, it's 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 never good. <laughs> um movie that you feel not enough people talk about. Basketball. Fuck yes. Basketball I, is so good. <laughs> I think it was my sophomore year of college. Me and my roommate watched that movie like eight times with different people. Really? Like people like just kept like coming by and we're like, oh, let's watch basketball. I haven't <laughs> seen that in a while. And, like we just like kept watching it with different people over the course of a whole weekend. I remember so I remember where, where I grew up originally, uh Still in Bridgeview, but yeah. like different parts of the town. But the, the the where I spent most of my childhood was on a dead end street. So we mm-hmm. we were able to play in the street all the time. Yeah, and which is awesome. 
And we had uh, my neighbor across the street had a basketball hoop that they had at the end of their driveway. So we would play basketball in the street. Mm-hmm. And for the most most of our time, we were we would always just play basketball. <laughs> like so we would, great. It was so much fun. Like we literally all all day, all night during the summers and stuff. I think about that all the time. And I'm like now like me and my my girlfriend are like looking at buying a house. Yeah. And I'm like. I don't care what fucking what the house looks like. I want a big yard and I want a big driveway so I can have a basketball hoop. We we have a basketball hoop that we need to set up and like Christina has no sense of urgency because she's pregnant. So she can't <laughs> play basketball right now. But when we do, I I'll, I'll make sure that we optimize a basketball setup. Oh yeah, once you got to like that, paint <laughs> some bases operated. on the ground. And oh stuff. yeah. Oh, and then uh their last question here is what happened to the lost city of Atlantis? I, th- I think it just got flooded out. I think it's that simple. <laughs> do you have Do you have any like conspiracies on that? So it's it's well funny enough that that's just like a running bit that that they ask every time mm-hmm. they ask people and and it's funny because people just, everyone has a different answer yeah. which is great. Um, but like I'm a big like conspiracy like mythological yeah. aliens guy. So yeah, like, yeah yeah yeah. Um, one of, one of the ones that I've recently read into is that they're like a lot of scientists believe that where Atlantis was or Mm -hmm. could have existed is this part, like it's like a, on the, the Western part of like where the Sahara desert is. Okay. And if you look at, there's like satellite imaging from that area. Yeah. There's a like a spiral or circular like rock formation that's like in the in the middle of the desert there that they're okay. just like well this wasn't made naturally like yeah people put this here and um i don't remember exactly I don't, I, i'll send Some you the, the designs with like flying devices that they've like uncovered and stuff too it's, it's like, insane it's insane it's and, really crazy and a lot of like there's a lot of people that that speculate that there's a lot like for one there's people that speculate that the human race is a lot older than when we think it is Mm -hmm. and that these early civilizations that had these technologies and stuff like that that we just like kind of lost touch with Mm -hmm. and even potentially like i know a lot of people scoff at the idea of like oh well maybe extraterrestrials like gave us this technology but like i mean it makes them just as much sense as the fucking bible does (laughs) yeah did you speaking of the bible did you see a guy got swallowed by a whale today what yeah really yeah a dude like off the coast of cape cod like for his job he's a commercial like lobster diver so he goes underwater and like gets lobster um he was like out with his crew and he was like yeah like went down and then like i felt something terrible happen to me and then everything was black and i realized i was like inside of a whale holy shit and he was like the whale like clearly did not like that i was inside of it and like came up and it like spit him out and like one of his crewmates like saw it and they've like talked to professors and they're like yeah it could happen like they based on like what they eat they would not like how a human tastes so like that's insane yeah yeah dude got ate by oh a whale my today god and i like would spit out but he said he was in the whale for like 45 seconds Oh, that's too long. That's way too long. <laughs> and he, he has kids. He was like, oh, the entire time I was just like, I've got like a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. And like, Jesus. I'm just inside a whale right now. I feel like like your whole life flashes before your eyes. Oh. You're just like, this is it. I'm going to die inside of a I, fucking whale. I cannot even imagine. I would lose. It oh, just gives me chills thinking about yeah. that. Uh, we got some questions. Uh, Frank Atlas. He asks, mm-hmm. uh, I know this is a lame question. If you're even still taking them, which we were. We are, yeah. Uh, but if Maxwell could 
make a pint of ice cream based on any wrestler, who would it be and what would it consist of? Okay, so it would be after the Big Boss Man, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Hell yeah. Uh, it would be a... Because he's, he's uh, from Georgia, Cobb County. Um, Georgia is pecan pie country. Oh. I'm a big like chocolate pecan pie guy. Okay. So it would be like a chocolate base with pecan pie like filling in it. But like at, traditional pie crust and ice cream generally gets really soggy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would do graham cracker pieces instead. Yes. Oh, that sounds really fucking So good. that's that's what I would do. What would you call it? Uh, big big boss man slam pe- pecan pie ice cream <laughs> spectacular. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't have a good name for it. But. Uh, and then he asked for me. He's like, if you had to create a pop punk super group, who would, who would be in it? Now, I, I don't know if I didn't know if he meant like musician wise or wrestlers. So I'm going to just do it <laughs> yes. if I had a band of wrestlers. OK, uh, for one, I would pick wrestlers who are just more famous than me. So we'd get mm-hmm. we would get more money. Uh, but I think I would have uh, a warhorse would be the drummer for sure. Just like he's fucking he's metal as hell and he bangs his head really hard. He'd bang his head off the drums. Mm-hmm. Um Probably have Danhausen playing bass. Oh, Danhausen's the best. Dan, uh, he would be the greatest bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. I guess I would probably like be like learning a, try to learn guitar and play, and then uh, I'd have Effie be our like sexual, sexy uh, frontman. Okay, Effie as a frontman is perfect because the idea of like Danhausen in character as frontman is hysterical to me. <laughs> To just like being doing the very subdued, like very evil, very front man, like oh my <laughs> bit God. would be tremendous. But yeah, it's got to be Effie. I love. So when I had Dan Housen on my podcast, he was like, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. He's like, do you do you want me to do the podcast as Dan Housen or as me? And I was like, well, I would never I wouldn't make you do an entire <laughs> podcast in character. And I, so we did like a whole bit where he like started the podcast as Dan Housen. And then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, well, it's nice to meet you. But like I was actually hoping to talk to donovan danhausen of uh, of the deep six yeah and the fucking throwback <laughs> the to Dreamwave. oh dream wave but that was that was really funny i feel like we had more questions oh yeah did, yeah here we go uh good old alex olsen the backyard legend the legend he asks uh best burger chain so in my opinion it's five guys Ooh. Which I feel like maybe a little controversial because I know a lot of people are like In and Out or like Whataburger. I had In and Out and I didn't think it was that good. It's fine. It's okay. It's yeah. good. It's, it's not. Just, yeah, it's, it's not bad. Um, but I feel I feel like it's just kind of a step below. Like I, I liked Whataburger. Whataburger to me felt like um, like, like quality, lu- like luxury burger. Yeah, because it's like flame grilled, but it's still really good. And that spicy ketchup. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm ultimately a Five Guys person. Um, I, I also think like culver's kind of doesn't get enough respect culver's is okay it's like the one like local ish chain that i feel like nationally people don't hype up yeah because like everyone from california is like you gotta have in and out but like wisconsin doesn't have enough of a national presence for people to know that culver's (laughs) exists um but I, i really like culver's too but it's it's five guys to me i think i've only ever had five guys once and i okay and it was like it's it's so funny that like i think that when i had it i was just out of high school so i was 
broke. Okay. And I feel like I remember it's it expensive. being yeah, I remember yeah. it being expensive and like, well, I'm never eating here again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shake Shack and like uh Smashburger too are like in that same tier for me. Ooh, I've never had Smashburger, but I've always seen it and I'm like, yeah. That looks like it's probably good. It's good. I I would put Shake Shack out of it and then Five Guys. Have you ever had Meatheads? No, and there's one right by my house. Uh, there's one right by my house as well and and I I'm like, oh, I want to check that out, but mm-hmm. I've uh I'm trying to think of like chain wise, like what I would consider to be the best. I mean, I mean, I guess I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of hard because I'm not like a big burger. Like okay. if, I, if I'm a burger guy, it's usually like, oh, like the best burger I've ever had has been like from this fucking bar down the street from my house, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, shit yeah. like that. Like the well, and like we've got a lot of good like burger restaurants in Chicago too. Yeah. Between like Oshaval and like places like oh that, yeah like, oh yeah like we've just got a ton of really good burgers that I've like, never are accessible here I've never gotten a chance to go to Oshaval because it's, it's always so fucking good. backed up but like right down the street from here is Small Cheval yes just as good just as good just as good okay I've had Small Cheval a couple times and it yeah. is that is quality burger right there mm-hmm. and uh, and I actually live a block from Kuma's like the original Kuma's, Kuma's. is tremendous also Kuma's is good too like if you like everything on your burger <laughs> yeah 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 if you want to like yeah do like a gimmick burger and like dick around a little bit those are fun. great for that uh olsen says uh he says also hi hey olsen uh but he says uh what are some of your craziest booking ideas i feel like i didn't have like that many like crazy ideas the one idea that i was thinking about that was really good was do you remember jack's idea during the egos feud i like this is like legitimately an idea that i loved where that like we couldn't do because of how expensive it was but when we were doing the robert anthony ethan page feud and he pitched the idea of like them doing a casket match oh because it's like you like the idea of like killing an ego yeah like that and like it's so great but like like the viral tweet the other day said like caskets are so expensive just bury me loose like it's like (laughs) it's just so like caskets are so pricey god i feel like there was no way you could we could have pulled it off but it was such a great idea i feel like if i if we if i asked around enough i feel like somebody could have lent us a casket (laughs) you know you know what i mean like that's like the most indie wrestling thing though is like someone's gotta have one Someone's just got to have a casket around. <laughs> That's insane, but I love it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know we talked about building one, but God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Which, But also, like, given, like, how TLC went when, like, we just had those tables and they were, like, thick as hell. Oh, And they showed God. up and were like, oh, yeah, like, they're going to die. And then, like, Rob Matter, like bounced like a basketball and getting a tombstone <laughs> pile driver off the top rope Dude. on the table fuck that match is so good that match rocked. go back and watch that match if you haven't they had to follow ali and gpa like tearing the house down and they did it and they did it yeah they awesome. fucking did yeah god i'm you know i love that venue everybody talks about like wanting it was so to go cool back there but the like oh it, they were a nightmare to deal with they they were a nightmare to deal with and the the green room the locker room was like as small as the room that we're currently yes. in. Like it was very, yeah, very small. Bad. If they had a bigger green room and the staff didn't try to raise the fucking rent price on me every show, like that was a decent spot. That was the only place I remember that ever happening. Yeah. It like was I just remember shitty. like the week before every show it was like, oh yeah, they want to do this. And like they would offer these bizarre concessions to be like, oh, but we'll do like, we'll like open this area. And it's like, but that doesn't mean we can sell more tickets. Like they would yeah. just do stuff where it was like, 
this isn't helping us. You're trying to get more money. From yeah, us. it was, it was, and it was really not in a, like a very good location either. It was kind no. of inconvenient to park at and, mm-hmm. but yeah, shout out chop shop. You can go get there, <laughs> get some fucking deli meats there yeah, or go whatever. Get a, go get a nice steak. Uh, Sterling Richards, friend of the show. Yeah. He says, have Maxwell talk about his favorite and least favorite bumps. Ones he's taken and ones he's seen. So I've taken like three bumps ever. Um, my favorite. So the, the the best bump I ever took, the cleanest bump, was at one of the festival shows. It was you, Bryce, and Castro. All delivered a super kick to me at the same time. Clean as a sheet. Didn't touch me. I sold it. The crowd came up. Hell it. yeah. Wonderful. The worst bump I took was also at a festival show. And it was entirely my fault. Castro gave me a stunner. And I like screwed up every possible way you can take a stunner i like took it like linda mcmahon like it looked like it, it looked like trash and like also however i did it i knocked the wind out of myself oh my god i don't know what i did like because like it wasn't anything castro did like castro did a stunner he like actually he just, stunned you yeah he did the move like the most normal way possible and then i should like laying on the mat being like I can't breathe. Like, what did I do? Like, I can't breathe right now. And my abs are killing me. Oh my God. And like, I was just like laying there for like a second. I was like, how did this happen? And like, Castro was like giving me like the boot out of the ring to be like, all right, like clean, clear out of the ring. Like it's time for the baby faces to celebrate and being like, you're just like, yeah, sure. Oh, like I can't gasping for air. Um, But also I think the funniest joke I've ever made in my entire life was that same festival show. Um, So it was, I think it was you and, Castro against Rob and Stevie, if I remember correctly. Probably. And it was either like, or, or no, it was GPA and Castro against Rob and Stevie for some reason. Oh. I think. Maybe. Um, One of those sausage fest shows. Yeah, because I remember I, I had like a dumb line about GPA in my promo, I think. And then after the match, like, so we, we the heels, won. And then after the match, the faces got revenge. But I remember in the ring celebrating with Rob and Stevie and then giving him the Shawn Michaels, now get the fuck out of my ring <laughs> before I got beat up by the faces. And I just remember like in my head being like, this is the funniest thing I'm ever going to say in my entire life. And like they're like the freelance tag champs at the time. And like I'm just a commentator. And I'm like, now get the fuck out of my ring. God, that and that from that day, there's that, that iconic photo of like the three of you guys. Like, yes. You got your arms around them. I fuck it. Yeah, it's so funny. You got the tag belts. It's still, like one of my favorite pictures ever. You got the fedora the fedoras. <laughs> Yeah. So that day they were like, hey, do you want to manage at this festival show? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I need to come up with like a whole shtick. So I came up with the idea of Adam, the king of the fedora, Gamora. Yeah. And the gimmick was that I was a fedora family heir and that my dad was a fedora <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> So, so I went to Kohl's to buy fedoras and they had like four total fedoras. Yes. And I just bought three of them. I was like, "We're I'm buying these. And I felt like a total psycho checking out and buying three of the same fedora. <laughs> <laughs> but but I ha- it had to be done. Oh, that was so good. I think that was the same day where I wrestled Jay Bradley because nobody else wanted to. Yes. <laughs> how was oh. how that? Painful. Yeah. I just remember he was... I'm ready to fucking bury him, but he, what an interesting career that guy had, though. Yeah, he's still wrestling. Is he somewhere okay. like OVW? I think really, man. Yeah. OVW is like a portal to a different dimension now. It's the Bizarro Zone. Yeah, but I just remember nobody wanted to wrestle him, and I was like, uh, okay, I guess I will. And then he was just like, okay, so I'll be like just gonna beat you up the whole time and like talk shit on the mic. 
And then like you can just like roll me up at the end. And then I'll beat you up after the match. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Dude, literally, yeah. he like Sounds busted like my nose like five minutes into Jeez. the match. I was like, fuck. Do you remember the match he had with Rose? Yes. <laughs> I just remember like trying to commentate that match and being like, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, this is, this is rough. Uh, yeah. Perfect example of any, any young wrestlers who are watching this. If you want to go back and watch that, it's on IWTV. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember which show, but Christian Rose versus Jay Bradley. That is a perfect example of not wanting to do good business and going into business for yourself and then not getting booked anywhere again. Yeah. So just play do some ball. research just, for yourself. Just play yeah. ball. Play ball when you're getting booked anywhere. And Absolutely. it'll go you'll go farther in life. Yeah. Um what else we got here? I think we got uh Fender Dean thirteen <laughs> Brandon mm-hmm. on Twitter. He uh he says, Did Benoit commit murder and skirt responsibility? He did. He did in fact do that. So I was like a huge Chris Benoit fan. And I don't think Love people know Chris that. Benoit. I was I was like a like Benoit was was my favorite wrestler. So like I joke about the Benoit stuff on Twitter all the time, but that was like legitimately a life altering experience at the time. Insane. It was so in I I don't think we knew and I'm using a colloquial like we as like just like general fans at the time like knew how low the standard of behavior in professional wrestling was at the time like I I know that like a lot of the barriers were down as far as like getting backstage scoops and stuff like that but I don't think people realize like the general debauchery of professional wrestling (laughs) um because at the time everyone was like but I watched the Chris Benoit DVD and he seemed like such a nice guy yeah like nobody expected that like when it came out that his family died everyone was like was it carbon monoxide like i remember everyone on the forums being like it had to be carbon monoxide yeah like nobody thought he killed them or that like i i don't know there was like a murder yeah like like something crazy like nobody nobody thought it was murder suicide and like and, and it's actually funny like well not funny but uh, like having this conversation like recently with people and I'm like somebody was like what like how do you feel how do you feel about this and uh, and and for me personally and I'll ask you the same question yeah. like um like for me personally I was like like now knowing I guess like what we know about like CTE oh and God. like steroid abuse and all that stuff like I was like I don't like a hundred percent blame him for what happened. Like obviously he, they, yeah, they ob- said his brain was comparable to like an, it, like a 97 year old woman with dementia. Yeah. Like, and like, it, I don't like, I don't hundred percent. Like obviously he committed the acts and it happened. Yes. But I think like, that's why he killed himself is like, he realized like he wasn't in his right mindset. I don't he, think he knew what was happening. Yeah. Most of the time in life. Like, not even, like, that weekend. Yeah, it just... like I, And, like, you hear stuff about, like, his general behavior patterns, too, and how he's, like, driving different ways home from the airport. Like, Interesting. I, like, I, there was stuff about that. Like, I think his brain was just cooked. He was fucked, dude. Like, I like, think he was done. Like, I... I and, and also, like, to your point about CTE, it's, I think it's kind of a miracle it didn't happen more often. Yeah. Like, as terrible as it is to say, like, it's surprising... Like, I know that we've had a lot of young wrestler deaths... But it's surprising that we didn't have like more violent acts yeah. before them. Yeah, and and it's like I like I'll I'll never like like for me as like as a as a wrestler and as like a, a fan of mm-hmm. wrestling like I'll never you know talk talk badly of of, of his career like in yeah, ring he was, he was a tremendous literally wrestler. one of the best that yeah. ever wrestled and 
you know, I can I can still watch a Chris Benoit match, and I like, can too. But I'm like I'm very good at compartmentalizing. Yeah, but it's like selective. Like I, I have a harder time with people that I worked with that I know personally that did bad stuff, and I can't watch them. But yeah. like Benoit's like I can do. Yeah, that. yeah, a lot of like a lot of like well, well this past year, like yeah. when when we the whole speaking out movement, like very unfortunate that a lot of people that I considered you know friends yeah. turned out to be fucking monsters well yeah and it's it's hard to because it's like so much of this stuff happens behind closed doors yeah that it's like there's people that that you know that you didn't know were bad people yeah and and like i have a harder time watching anything that somebody like involved with that did than benoit yeah and i and i think it's because it's like it's like i can kind of distance myself from benoit but like people i knew it's like i can't i can't do that it's hard yeah mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's like very unfortunate, and it's it's one of those things now that I'm I'm like sometimes I'm like oh I kind of miss like fucking like when people got hit in the head with chairs, but like but now I'm like it's probably for the fucking best. Like, yeah, yeah. But you watch back like shit in the Attitude Era, and it's like damn wrestling was fucking sick, and <laughs> yeah. now you're just like I mean yeah, but like, at least they're not killing their families. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, Daz underscore Gun Daz yes. Knifey Spoony on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, he has legendary Australian. He, uh, I say he, he or she, but I he, guess he. He's a he. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on Sarah Palin? <laughs> so yeah, in 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 high school, I got in trouble for making a Facebook group about how I wanted to have uh, sexual relations with Sarah Palin. Really? I did. Yeah. She's a babe, though. She she was. Yeah, that was like the or joke she was at, the at the time. Was like, yeah, like she is is a big a big dummy, but she's hot. Like that was like the joke. And I made a Facebook group about it, and I like got in trouble at school. Really, I got sent home from school. But that like but it that's was, weird. But, like, but I went to a religious school. Oh, so they're harsh conservative bent. How dare you speak? I, like yeah, that. about Sarah Palin. Um, and the thing I always remember about that, and this was like my initial like mask off moment with the idea of like Republicans, <laughs> which like, <laughs> I get political on here, was like I Are did that. I got sent home from school, and I remember I had a meeting with the dean of my high school. And like a couple months before, there was kids that were on a team at my school and they lost to a a team at another school and kids on the team at my school went on that school's Wikipedia and edited in like anti-Semitic comments on this this team's school on this team's Wikipedia page. And the dean said, you know, they did that. But what you did was worse. What? And I was like, absolutely not. Did you tell him that to his face? I would. No, fucking... I was a coward. I was a coward. Oh. I was. I, I was like a big baby back then. Like now, I well, think you're, I would you're, have. You're in but high like, school. I was 17. I didn't want to get in trouble. I was worried about like, am I going to knock it into college? Like I was like, I I didn't understand like the actual like stakes of the situation at the time while I was in it. Yeah. Um. But now in hindsight, it's like. It's, it's like making shit. jokes about like wanting to have sex with somebody and like yeah like there was there was like absolutely a level of like objectification that was completely wrong sure completely wrong yeah. like i i 100 own that that's that's wrong um like you shouldn't objectify anybody um but like anti-semitism it's like i don't know i think one yeah. of those is worse like i, I don't know but 
Yeah, I just remember like him like unequivocally stating that. But how? And then there were you. there were kids that uh, also like got caught with drugs, and I got a harsher punishment than they did. Like I got <laughs> awesome. more hours of community service than them because their parents were on the school board. That's so. insane. Very cool. Yeah. Now my next question is: This Facebook group still active? No, I had to delete it. <laughs> they sent me home from school to delete it, and then made me come back to school. What? To, like, Why did you just delete it at school? Was. Like. Uh, I think you couldn't get onto Facebook at school computers back then. Oh. Like, I think it was, like, blocked out on their networks. Weird. Yeah. Um, uh, so how does it feel <laughs> to look exactly like former WWF jobber Chuck Simpson? I do look like Chuck Simpson. You definitely do. I, uh, yeah. I've, I've like, posted that photo before on Father's Day, and then, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like done a whole post about my dad, and, then like, by the way, this is an unrelated photograph of somebody who's not my dad. It's WWF wrestler Chuck Simpson. <laughs> but like people are like, oh, I just thought that was your dad for a while. But yeah, I love that. I love. It's, there's so many. Like, I love the 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 weird. There, there's got to be a podcast or something like a documentary on all these like random like old like jobbers that used to like appear on like on like the WWF programming. There's and so just, many because like especially like in Chicago, there were so many that like like coming up in wrestling we're like oh this guy this guy was in the fed like he yeah he did this he did that and then it's just like as you get older you're just like ah, i mean he's just a fucking like yeah, he was a good job guy like, yeah but like to you it's like they were on wwf yeah, TV oh, four shit. times like i have to listen to everything he said he is gospel truth like yeah it's funny uh and he says as you ever have you ever broken your arm oh if i ever told you sir when i broke my arm as a kid i don't know this will be a good this is a good story so the day I broke my arm, I was in fifth grade. The date is uh, very easy to remember because it was September 12th, 2001. Oh. So to set the stage a little bit, 9-11 had happened the day before. Sure. Um, and so I mentioned like I went to like a conservative school. My like We were involved in the church that we went to growing up. And a member of our church died and was on the plane that like crashed in the field in Pennsylvania. Holy shit. So our that's ch- crazy. Yeah. So our church was going to do a memorial service for that guy. Did your family know this person? Or yeah. Did- yeah. Like my dad knew him. Like not, I don't think they like, they weren't like friends, just or like anything. in passing, but yeah, like they, they knew him. So, um, there was going to be a memorial service at our church the next day. Um, and I think he was like, I think they like based one of the, I think he was like one of the guys that like charged the cockpit. Like, I think he was like one of the guys that was like in the like movie that they made about it. Or Damn. Um, so we were going to go to this memorial service and like, I hated going to church as a kid. Oh like, yeah. I hated it. So um, I was always difficult about it. I remember I came home from school and like, this is when razor scooters were hot shit. Hell yeah. So I come home from school and they're like, hey, we got to go to this memorial service, whatever. And I'm like, okay, can I ride my scooter for a little bit? My parents are like, okay, but you've got like 30 minutes. And then like, you've got to come home. You've got to shower. Like you've got to yeah. get dressed, whatever. You got to wear a suit. Like it's this whole deal. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So like where I live, there was like two hills and there was like <laughs> one hill that was like smaller and like one hill that was bigger. And like generally my rule of thumb, like I wasn't like a bad kid. Like I wasn't a kid that like acted out much at all, but like my general rule of thumb in my head was like, I can do tricks going down the small hill, but like I shouldn't do tricks going down like the big hill. Sure. Cause I'll, I'll die. Um, but that day I just decide like it's trick time. So I gotta go in yeah. honor of nine 11. I gotta go down the big <laughs> yeah. hill. 
to just show my respects i need to uh yeah to to do like a, a 360 with the handlebars going down this hill so i like wipe out going down this big hill Oof. and um and like our our living room had like these blinds like you could open up or whatever and i think like my dad had them open because he was like, I need to be able to like grab this kid, be like, hey, get your ass inside, let's shower, let's go. So he saw me like wipe out. My dad comes outside and he's like, Hey, like, let's let's go. Like, I just saw you wipe out, like get Time. inside, like it's get over. ready. And I'm like, oh, like I'm like pissed because I'm like, oh, like my dad's making me cut my scooter time short or whatever. And I get up and I'm just like, I realize like, oh, like my arm looks wrong. You didn't like, feel any pain yet? Or? Not at all. Um, and like, I'm just like freaked out. Like, cause I, I think I'm in trouble. Cause I like fell down and was like messing around before this big thing. And we like get inside and I'm like, dad, like my, my arm, like something's wrong with my arm. And he's like, go like rinse it off. Cause like, and, like my dad is not, <laughs> my dad has not looked at me. Like he just like came outside and was like, come in. And then like, he turns back to me and is like walking back to the house with me. So he has not like looked at my arm and I'm like running sink water just on my arm, looking at it being like, there's like a lump in my arm. Was it like bent weird or something? Yeah. So it was in my right arm and there was a hump, like no joke, like to that degree on my arm. Yep. So I, um, I'm like bawling at this point and now it's starting to hurt because like the adrenaline's wearing off. Yeah. And I just like told my dad, I'm like, I think I broke my arm. And like he like comes in the bathroom and my dad's squeamish as hell and like turned white and almost fainted. Oh, the second no. he saw my arm, he's like, Kim, we have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and Jesus. Like made yeah, like made my mom take me to the hospital. And it was so bad that when we got to the hospital, like we go to the ER or whatever, and like you walk up and you check in. And immediately the woman working behind the front desk, normally those people are like, like cool, cool as a cucumber, like very laid back. They've seen everything. We walk up and the woman is immediately like, oh, your arm is broken. And I, I like have another freak out. Yeah. Because like, I'm just like, Fuck. ah. Um, but it turned out I broke both bones completely off the bone in my arm. It's like they like were a like clean break. Yeah. They were like stunned that they stayed inside the skin. Oh, shit. So it was brutal. Um, but initially, yeah, like my parents thought I was like faking it to get out of going to a 9-11 memorial service, but that wasn't the case. I was actually, this kid's (laughs) anti-American. He doesn't (laughs) want to pay his respects, (laughs) but yeah, that was, uh, that's my broken arm story. Oh my God. That's nuts. Yeah. I think the only other thing we have is Jake Polito, uh, Polito, (laughs) but this is this picture of Scott staff is Creed. Can I see your penis? (laughs) Yeah. Uh no no <laughs> I didn't know if that was something like a reference to something it's, but I, it's a reference to a podcast where a host um took the Creed theme song or not the Creed, the Creed theme song Ooh. it was it was the can you take me higher song can you take me <laughs> higher just, can I see your penis <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one of the worst executed podcast bits I've ever heard but it, I love that. it's very funny still. Well, I think that might be all the questions that we received. So, uh, well, Max, say Maxwell. I, I called you Max. That's weird. Care. Yeah, people say that whenever they call me Max. So, like, I, I was Max until I was in like fifth grade, and then I, then it was Max. I've only that's ever like called never, you Maxwell. I think that might be the yeah. first time I called you Max. So yeah, it's fine. I don't care. I'm gonna have to go beat myself later. <laughs> um, yeah. 
that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for like coming. I know, like, like we were talking earlier about like you know having you know be, being home the whole time and yeah. going a little stir crazy. And now, now we're literally. I mean, Chicago. I think today or tomorrow is Stage opening up. Five, fucking a hundred percent open, baby. Let's do it. Uh, I went to the Sox game on Sunday. Like, people. How was that? Fucking packed, and That's I didn't awesome. feel weird at all. I was yeah. like, I'm home, baby. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I'm ready for I'm ready for shit to be opened up again. I'm ready to start mm-hmm. running shows again. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, everybody fucking just stays safe and like we yeah. don't have another outbreak of anything. Like, mm-hmm. wash your hands. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, wash your hands. But uh, no, it was, it was fucking awesome when you te- you texted me about wanting to hang out, and I was like, dude, let's fucking podcast. Like, yeah, this was great. Um. I guess before we leave, like, what uh, you've any, have anything anything you want to uh, promote? Yeah, plug, uh, chill, chill, anything? Sure, yeah. Just follow me on Twitter at MaxwellRBR. I do a podcast on Wednesday nights, and we have a Patreon also where I make my wife watch wrestling. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. That's that's all behind the paywall. That's the fancy stuff. Um, but we do some other stuff on there too. We just do like general hangout shows, and then we also there's a couple episodes of another show, uh, Lessons from Wrestling History, where I teach my wife about like old school wrestling stuff like i did an episode about gorgeous george like the 1930s and 40s oh that's fun yeah so that's all behind a paywall so give me five dollars please hell yeah uh, (laughs) go listen to that um but yeah just check me out on there i'm uh, tweeting about wrestling a lot but yeah thanks for having me on man i really appreciate it oh yeah thanks man we'll catch up again soon peace